0: This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. You ready? hmm Guys, welcome to the Full Blast Podcast. I'm Jeff Fader, and before we get into it with my good friend, Jesse Savage, let's just talk about a little bit of a little bit of business. Let's take care of it now, because we're going to get into it. The first thing is, is Axe Wax. Axe Wax is an all-natural food-safe wax for your axe, for your handles, for your knives, your steel, your carbon steel, your Damascus, your leather, whatever you got is all-natural food-safe, and if you put in promo code FULLBLAST10 at axewax.us, you're going to get 10% off your order. Uh, if you're in the U.K., go to ukknifemakersupplies.com. He's taking to full blast 10. If you're in Australia, NordicEdge.com.au. Those guys are taking full blast 10. And um, Knife Maker, KnifeMaterial.at uh, is taking full blast 10. So, guys, thank you so much. And thank you, Axe Wax, as always. Next is... Total Boat Baby Total Boat is uh, this really amazing company and they they started out as a DIY is a boat builder company it's a company for boat builders they make epoxies and resins and primers and polishing compounds and um, they started to realize that the DIY community had a itch needing to be scratched. So they started to really work with a lot of makers like Keith Decent and Jimmy Doresta and Derek Fromalden and Keith Johnson and Keith Mitchell and uh, Ben Pake, Woby Designs, to give uh, these, use up the epoxies from. Um, for boat building, for the maker community, I've actually been recently using uh, their high performance two-part epoxy for laminating scales together. The uh, all the the dispensers are really uh, user friendly. When you do a couple pumps, it's not just for like you could do one knife scale for one, one set of pumps. It's really cool, and their UV cure clear resin is amazing. It's just this, you know, it's, you get this little UV flashlight, you run it over the, the stuff you poured out and all of a sudden it gets hard. It's really a pretty great. And if you go to totalboat.com and you put in put promo code full blast 10, you're going to get 10% off your order for Total Boat stuff. Send Total Boat a message. Tell them you're glad they sponsored the show. I appreciate the hell out of Total Boat. And, um, we're going to be doing more stuff with Total Boat. Uh, so thank you, Total Boat. Uh, the next thing is, is I really, really, really want you to think about your website. Your website is going to be something that you can update. You can have all your information on there, ways in which people can interact with you. You can sell stuff. And it should be easier for you to be in business. It should be, make your life, it's supposed to make your life easier. You don't want to have to do a million emails. You don't want to have to do all these DM conversations with people who just want your friendship. You can really maximize your time by having a good website. And if you go to akinteractive.com slash full blast, Andreas Kalani will get you squared away. He's got twenty years of experience. Twenty years of experience in design and marketing for corporations. He isn't just making websites for kids on the street. He's making he made websites and marketing for corporations before becoming a knife maker. Uh, he designs websites. He designs websites. He designs corporate identities, entire company branding. He does, it, this is not, he's a professional. Before he made knives, he was, he was he made people's websites for corporations and corporate identities. He can make you a website that's mobile friendly. So you don't, you could do what, you can fix everything from your website, from your cell phone, from your iPhone, your whatever he gets you squared away. He designs. Uh, he's designed great websites for Steve Schwarzer, Mike Tyree, Charlie Lionheart, lots of other people. I, I cannot stress enough his experience. And he knows, but because he's a maker, he speaks your language. He's done stuff. He understands what you need, but he has the experience behind him and the resume behind him to make you a professional looking website or fix your website. So go to akinteractive.com slash full blast and he'll consult with you and figure out what you need. He's actually very, very, he's been very, very helpful to a lot of people. So go take check out on what Andreas Kalani is doing. Um, it's terrific. I want to thank TR Maker. TR Maker is a company in, I think they're in Turkey, and they make amazing G- grinding jigs, sharpening jigs, contact wheels, knife-making equipment supplies. I recently came up with a situation where I needed to have a little bit of consistency, so I reached out to them because I had heard about TR Maker, and I needed this grinding jig, and I was talking to a lot of guys. like Florentine Kitchen Knives has been using them, and I know that a lot of other guys have been working with TR Maker, and I heard he has great a great reputation. So I reached out because I had a problem that I wanted him to fix, he had, gave me an op- option, and uh, he I got one of his grinding jigs, and the grinding jig, and let me, number one, let me back it up by saying, the grinding jig is amazing. The grinding jig is beautiful. It's got this, uh, I guess, like a silicone bottom, so it slides across your work rest. It's super easy to do. There's tons of parts that make it smart and figure out ways in which you can put your knife on their bevel jig. You can on the bevel jig easy. But what is besides the fact that it's well-made besides the fact that it's user-friendly, the shipping was so fast. He put it into, he put it into his, uh, he put it into, uh, he put a, my logo on, he had it in the mail on Monday. I received it on Wednesday. The shipping is insane, and I've started getting sending, getting messages from people saying how great the shipping is, and his service is outstanding. So go to tr-maker.com and support him. He's doing a lot of great things for a lot of people, and I know he also sells stuff at Maritime Knife Supply. So you can probably, if you're a, you you want to use Maritime Knife Supply, those guys are awesome, um, but they're, they're super fast shipping incredibly well-made uh, knife making supplies, contact wheels, sharpening jigs. Thank you, TR Maker. Go follow TR Maker TR on Instagram and tell him thank you for helping me out. I'm going to give him some help because he you know, he, was, he was so great. And the last thing, the last thing and we get into it with Jesse is I want to thank Broadback Ironworks. I've been working with Broadback for a number of years and it is a great company. It's knife makers making grinders and other parts For knife makers, I got a hold of them. They got a hold of me years ago through Chris Cash, and I really, really appreciated the approach that uh, Ryan and Vince had. They sent me a grinder, and I loved it. I loved the fact that it was, I could use it vertically, I could use it horizontally. I love the fact that they have a ton of different attachments and i really appreciate the fact that because they're knife makers they kind of know what you need. So if you go to broadbeckironworks.com you can get yourself whatever they have. Their 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 prices are really good, but if you put in the promo code knife talk, knife talk, you can upgrade to the Mireco Platin which is a deeper throated uh platin and it's it's actually probably my number one favorite. That's the number one uh attachment i use because it has a smaller wheel on the top and it has a bigger wheel on the bottom i feel like besides the fact that if you're carving if you're doing some carving you can get around both sides it gives you a lot of clearance but i feel like the bigger wheel on the bottom gives you a little bit more torque so for some reason i could be completely wrong but they are actually going to be sending me a surface grinder attachment and i cannot wait this is something i really need for a project that we're working on and i want to thank them i'm going to have vince and ryan on at some point soon but uh I appreciate Broadback Ironworks, uh what they've done for the maker community, and um I appreciate it. So go to broadbackironworks.com, support those guys, put in promo code Knife Talk Knife Talk, and you will get the upgrade to the miracle Plat. All right. <sighs> my guest today is one of my close friends, a guy I've been talking with for years. If when it comes to the history of anvils and blacksmithing and the history of of what we're doing as metalworkers and blacksmiths it's hard to find someone with more information history and general passion than my good friend jesse savage jesse savage blacksmith on instagram is also the co-host of the blacksmith's pub with with rick barter jesse is also an instructor at cma center for metal arts go take a go take a class with him jesse what's going on
1: Hey, how you doing, Jeff? How are you? Good, good. I, really... I wanted to mention that um, on your Total Boat ad there. Remember, we had um, when we were demoing with the Modern Forge Group. Yeah. At Maker Camp, Mike, you know who uh, is the president? I guess Mike Mills. Yeah. He came over and forged with me and uh, Keith, Keith Mitchell that night.
0: Oh yeah, that's right.
1: Yeah, yeah you were right there. He was. A, they're
0: good people, man.
1: They're yeah, really nice good guy, people. super nice guy.
0: They're really good people. I, yeah. I really do appreciate uh, their service. Actually, Kristen, who uh, is kind of, I'm dealing with, she and I went to the same college. We were a couple years apart, but it was this, this, you know, we both went to the same small college. Oh, that's right. I remember, small, I remember, I remember. It's a small you world. Like it's such a yeah. small world. Yeah, that's crazy. I really wanted to talk to you because, I mean, I had like this, how do you, how would you even say it? I, w- I guess I would say it was like a very remarkable and fitting time At the Center for Metal Arts.
1: Yeah, of course. And
0: if I don't, I think just, you know, because we've known each other for so long, I just wanted to kind of like. And I had a great conversation with Pat, a great time with Pat Quinn at Center for Metal Arts. I felt like you're the person I need to talk to to kind of compartmentalize the concept of what's going on with the blacksmithing community and where we are and how important it is down there.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I don't know how. uh, I don't know if. I'm the right person to answer that question, but um, I wanted to say that, you know, we met at Center for Middle Arts when they were in New York State. That's right. At Aaron Wilburn's um, that's right. class, yeah.
0: That's right. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, the thing, that's right. We were friendly on, on Instagram before right. that. But, uh, but met, in person, yeah. But in person, we met at the Center for Middle Arts when it was in in New York. And right. I have a, I have a real, like... I feel like I have a very, I had a long conversation with Pat, you know, on the podcast and off the podcast. And I have a very, very unique, I probably have one of the more unique histories with the Center for Metal Arts where I was part of the original, not the original, but like the last group that ran the Center for Metal Arts. Right. And when it was, when uh so basically just to give you a little history of it so the center for mental arts really started from uh this family called the max ed and rhoda mac and they had i guess they were tool collectors in the, originally and ed was a really interesting guy he was a welder and he was just kind of like this adventurer and he had like i think he had a very romantic notion about everything and then he started this company called new england tools and actually if you're at the center for metal arts i think that there are a couple of anvil stands that still say new england tool company on it huh. and um you know he started this blacksmith shop and uh, i think it was like because he had so much collection and I'm, i i'm not a hundred sure but he had this two-part thing there was the center for metal arts was in this old barn and on the front the front of the barn it said or um it said I, how can I not remember? It was uh, it was Center for Mental Arts and Fine Architectural Metalsmiths. I can't believe I forgot the name of the company. So Fine Architectural Metalsmiths, we did the, the railings and we did the kind of decorative ironwork and, the, you know, fabricated railings and stuff like that. And then he had in the back, he had this room with a couple power hammers and anvils yeah. and stuff like that.
1: It's almost like two separate buildings.
0: It was two separate rooms, and I'm not a hundred percent. I got I got to give the Max a lot of credit because at the time there weren't a ton of places that were having classes. And the thing about the Max are Ed and Rhoda. I, Ed wasn't really a blacksmith. But what he did was, and I give him a ton of credit, and he's passed away now, and I have, you know, I have, you know, fond memories of being with Ed Mac, and I appreciate what he, what he gave me ultimately. But what he did was, was he, what was just fascinating, was he kind of, like, complimented his, complimented his, you know, what the things he didn't do by bringing people in. So he... I don't know what the impetus was behind starting the, the the school, the Center for Mental Arts. It might have been because he met with Uri Hoffey, and then Hoffey needed a place to be in the United States. I'm not 100% sure. Right. But he would, he would bring in teachers to teach blacksmithing classes. Ed didn't teach any blacksmithing classes. Mm-hmm. And I give him a lot of credit because he, like I said, he complimented. The things that he didn't know, he didn't just say, I'm gonna start this blacksmithing shop and I'm gonna start a school. He brought in Fred Christ and all these and and uh, there, uh uh all these incredible blacksmiths to teach classes. And then on the other side of the wall was uh the fabrication shop, the fine architectural middlesmith. And when I first got there, now we're talking like you're talking 15 years ago, pre Facebook, right before Facebook. Yeah,
1: pre pre social media in a lot of ways.
0: There was I had no idea. I was a welder in college. I mean, a welder. I was an art welder. You know, that's not me being a welder and, you know, being an art welder is not really being a welder. It's being like more like a hot glue gun person with a little bit more arrogance and confidence, really. Right. Because you have no idea, really. And I had no idea. My perception of what an anvil was, was we had an anvil at an old shop that I just beat shit on, but we didn't really understand anything about it. And then I had met, before I got to the Fine Architectural Metalsmiths Center for Metal Arts, I was I met this blacksmith in Queens, Tom Ryan, who ran the Koenig Ironworks, which was at the time black magic to me. I didn't understand it. So when I had the opportunity to get a, I, I was applying for jobs, we we moved up here and then there was this job opening and yeah. I just sent them an email. And then they invited me up and I had this was when they were working on the gates to the Dakota building. This is when the the, uh, the Center for Metal Arts was, or Fine Architectural Metalsmiths, had been given the job of renovating the courtyard gates to the Dakota building. So wow. I got in there, and it was like they had this these in- incredibly huge gates hung up, and they were working on it and stuff like that. And then when, I, when they, I, they offered me the job, because I knew how to MIG weld, I mean, you know, big deal. Um, that's how I got involved with the Center for, you know, Foreign Architectural Metalsmiths, and then they wanted me to, they wanted to encourage me to take the classes, and then Ori Hoffi came, and then, that was my first experience with Center for Metals, well, my first experience with blacksmithing. And, you know, without any understanding of that there were blacksmiths out there, they, it, they, they kind of got me involved with Habana, and they kind of, I never really saw anything other than what they were doing. What fascinated me was once social media kind of kicked in, that was the way. Because I had no idea. I had no idea. And I know I'm talking too much, but that's it. It fascinated me because all of a sudden, this was like this new thing. But then when you start to kind of understand where blacksmithing is and where it was.
1: Right. I mean, blacksmithing definitely before, I want to say, like Forged of Fire and the other TV shows that are out now was in a different environment altogether. You know, it what do you, was, uh,
0: how would you describe it?
1: Not necessarily good or bad. I'm just saying it was, um, there was less people interested in it. Right. Um, and it seemed to be like a dated generation, at least when I got into it, you know, I definitely agree with you. going from, you know, in Vermont, when I started out and I would, you know, we would travel around and I'd knock on people's doors and, um, you know, try to see as many shops and talk to as many people as I could in the industry just to get exposed to it and see, I mean, there's, you know, 10 ways to skin a cat, so to speak. So to see how, you know, see people's work, see how their processes are, um, you know, their setups, whether it's like um, a small space or a big industrial shop, you know, which there aren't really in Vermont, but there are some places that are close to it.
0: I guess for me, what got me real i mean i i loved it i mean once you once you kind of get the feeling, I think the real feeling is once you're holding the steel and the tongs and you're holding on the anvil correctly right and you hit it and it's it's not like bouncing around on the anvil and you hit it you you hit it, you feel it through the hammer right you get that understanding of the love right yeah. What was interesting to me was, and I and I and this is the part of the whole, you know, what you and I've been talking about for a long time, was Ori Hoffy was he was teaching class or whatever, and he would say, "What is the role?" I don't. He didn't say it in this, but the idea was, "What's the role of the modern day blacksmith?" And he said, "Nowadays." Buildings are made with glass and bronze and stainless steel and it's fabrication and there are no more real railings are now all, you know, stainless steel roll, you know, like with a satin finish and right, there's no Uh more, there's no, at one point I, I thought maybe I could go into the fire escape business or something like that. The architectural fire escape business. We could do, you know, we could do like, you know, forged fire escapes that were this beautiful part of 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 the connection between the architecture and and then all of a sudden it's just like well we the fire codes don't want you to have there no one's building fire escapes anymore right. or if they are it's not it's few and far between and yeah. he said to me he said to the classes well you have to figure out what the role of the modern-day blacksmith is and ever since then because you know like you know most people's perceptions still to this day are like anvils are for like olive oil putting it in her purse and hitting someone over the head with it or or the or <laughs> right. wily coyote dropping it <laughs> yeah. on the road runner yeah i always took that with me to the point where when you had before you had the blacksmith's pub you had that original podcast and i would you, yeah, would, you were asking que- you were yeah. asking you would always ask questions you would say what are some questions and i always say to you what's the role ask your guests what the role of the modern day blacksmith is and that yeah, was that's like, an
1: important question.
0: I think, And it's this question you and I have been talking about for years, as long as we've known each other. And, you know, you don't need, you know, you're not going to your blacksmith for nails. I mean, unless you're going to Alex Pohl because you have a historic project that you need, like very historic nails. Mm-hmm. You don't need, you know, now people are starting to make pans and stuff, but it's not as, I mean, the old blacksmiths before, you know, they did everything. That, did. that job was everything, you know, yeah. whatever you needed. And then industrialization happened and stuff like that. And now we, we look at what the role of the modern day blacksmith is and, and it's still, I still ponder it all the time.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. I think even like, even as we look backwards at blacksmithing in the history, it's, uh, I think some of the ways that people interpret it is wrong. Um, I think, you know, going to places like Center for Mental Arts and seeing, like, historical, you know, forges that have been there since 1850. And, I mean, that shop, like, literally probably built the country in a lot of ways. The steel mill was originally, like, I don't know, 17 miles long or some crazy. Yeah, that's
0: right. That's so, um, what he said, 17 miles long.
1: Right. But those blacksmiths would, you know, they forged everything as close as they could to whatever they were making. And then it went to the machine shop next door. And... You didn't get in that machine shop, but you used to be able to. A company's now gone in there, but it's um, it's it's enormous with just like floor after floor. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's hard. I think it's hard for us as um, modern day blacksmiths to totally understand the history of it. Um, but I think it's important, and I think that's like one of the reasons like Center for Metal Arts is really important is to be able to like connect people to that stuff and. Um. And I think Pat's vision of getting, like, uh, the hammers and stuff running for, um, you know, big sculpture groups that can go in and, like, basically rent out the space. Um, that's a super cool idea.
0: It, I think that one of the things is kind of going back to the the difference between what I remember the Center for Mental Arts being and what it is now is it's the it's approach. It's kind of too- Two totally different. Animals. Well, to yeah. the point where when I was posting pictures on Facebook, Uri Hoffe says, Oh, the Center for Middle Arts. I made all the hammers there and all the tongs there. And I just kind of like delicate and you know, he knows yeah, it of Ed, you know, Uri Hoffe's yeah. in his late eighties. He right. they cut his leg off. He's like, you know, doing his thing. God bless him. If I were in my late eighties, I would want them to figure out a way to put me in a chair where I can swivel and then I can swivel and I got to take my stuff out of the, out of the forge and swivel to the power yeah. hammer. He's doing it. He's, he's it living awesome. the dream in terms yeah. of like how you want to spend your later days. God bless Guri Hoffi. His wife just passed away a couple months ago and he's just, he's keeping, he's keeping at it's it. Still and, going, man, it's still going. Yeah. that's unbelievable. I mean, it is like remarkable, huh. but so he sent me a message just, Oh, you know, I made all the hammers there. Is this still the max place? And, and I had to, I wrote to him. I said, as delicately as I could, it's different. They got, you know, they, what happened was, is after Ed had died, it was, it was actually, I had left before Ed had died. And uh, I went to another metal shop. And then John Ledford was still leading the Center for Metal Arts. And when I think it was really, I give Rhoda a lot of credit for keeping going and trying to figure out how to go. Mm-hmm. And then she brought it, you know, she brought in Pat and, you know, it wasn't, you know, you can't have two alphas. I mean, Pat and John weren't going to, I mean, there were two guys, two leaders. I mean, you can't have two leaders in there. It's just not, it just doesn't really work. And, you know, God bless them all. John did what he had to do and he, he left. And, I, and I, you know, what when Pat came in,
1: he mm-hmm. changed
0: the approach to the point where he gave it. This new vitalization, and what I told, you know, I remember when we we first. I don't know if I met you at Aaron Wilburn's, but I also went the first time I went there. I, you know, as soon as I heard that Pat was not at the Center for Metal Arts, I reached out and I said, "Anything you need to know, anything I can do to help you or support you, I want to because I believe in figuring out what the role of the modern day blacksmith is." I had never seen Team Striking before. I'd never even known about it. The, really, the, the, not
1: even in like Haffy's
0: classes. Haffy, I'll tell you a funny story. Haffy wanted a striker, and his striker was Zivik Gottlieb. He yeah. Zivik Gottlieb is like his one of his probably his main protege, probably the most visible main protege. And Zivik is a fantastic guy. Yeah, hilarious, he's a,
1: excellent, yeah,
0: fantastic. And you know he's most likely going to be carrying on. You know, he uses Hoffie hammers, and they do the same things, and Zivik is a dynamite guy, dynamite guy, and there was one day where they asked me to, to strike. I had never struck, but I know that John Ledford struck for Hoffie, and John was, like, in of, of terms of, like, consistent, and, like, he's the kind of guy, he, 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 John Ledford is the, one of the best fabricators I ever met I mean, he really taught me everything. John Ledford is probably also, he runs on, he runs on spite, which is fantastic. He, he, he runs on spite. He's able to like, he can come to the table through sheer will. Like he can reach the, he will reach the finish line, you know, like half a corpse, but he will reach the finish line out of sheer will and spite. He's an outstanding, outstanding. So he used to strike for Hoffy And then there was one day where I was the assistant and Hoffy says, you know, you, hey. He called me the cook because I was doing all the cooking for the oh, cook. Come on. Here's the hammer, And he wanted me to strike. And I had never struck before. Never. Not once. Not once. And he would, you know, he would do the striking with where he's tapping on the anvil. And then that would mean this and tapping on the horn. And that would mean that. And he'd strike it across to make a different noise. And he was, rhythm was a big thing. And then I hit three times and he says, ah, stop. What are you doing? And he took the hammer away from me and he gave it to John. He was just like, no, no, no. You're gonna, he thought I was going to hit him. Like, he was just like, this is not, we're not doing this. Like, he wanted me at a very high level. I had, that was the first and only time I'd ever s- struck before. So, without any experience, without any being told what to do. And I remember when I came to, I was, when I reached out to John, uh, when I reached out to Pat you know pat was redoing everything and kind of bringing in the his whole style and stuff like that. i remember going to visit him when when they had jake james in for the first time oh yeah and that that's the, legendary that's yeah. the first time i met uh john ariani uh that's the first time i met alex Steele. Uh, i saw dave was there dave Cordilla was there yeah i'm trying to think about who else was there i think haley uh, was there haley was
1: there haley. and
0: um and who else was there oh uh
1: andy um Donor, Andy Donor Andy
0: Donor was there. And there were a few other guys. But oh, that was Kev, the...
1: Yeah, Kev ZB7, uh, Kevin Stanford. Yeah. And yeah. it was the
0: first time I met those guys, and what it was amazing. I'd never seen anything like it. I had never really, even being at the Center for Middle Arts for as many years as I was. I never saw this collaboration. Right. I never saw this collaboration. And in my mind, I'm thinking, how are these all these guys gonna work on one sculpture? And then who takes it home? And then what's the whole thing, you know? But I never seen I'd never seen it to the level all of a sudden I'm thinking wow that anvil's way lower than I remember them to be. And I you know, and then and then I'm just like I seeing them, oh, I see, I see. It's lower because they're striking. And they want to get and they want to get, you know, there's a striker and there's these set tools and fullering tools. And I had no idea, I'd never seen that before. The approach was so different the way Pat was and Dan were were doing it was new. It was like, it was like learning a new. it was seeing a new language, hearing a new language for the first time. And yeah, I thought and, I had known it.
1: Yeah. Every time I went there coming, like, you know, I, I never went until Pat took the school over. Cause I knew Pat before that, cause I'd taken his first hammer cl- class at the Adirondack folk school, um, with uncle sunset. Yeah. Um, but, uh, every time going down there, the first times like Carrie and I would go down and it was like magic walking. And, you know, even the old place, it was, It was incredible to see that stuff i mean i can't think of how many people i've met there too it was unbelievable i mean even even in the new place it's even more so like how many different people you meet that you may know online or you may not um the sense of community around uh you know what he's done is is really incredible
0: and it was completely different in the sense that when the max had center for metal arts, I think that they were, I don't know what the direction was in terms of what they were trying to accomplish. I don't know what the vision was even being there. I think that they were hesitant to have a lot of people there. I think that they were hesitant to have, and that's their own decision. I have nothing bad to say about the max. I I appreciate what they've, what they have exposed me to was something that has changed my life for the, for the better for the Mm -hmm. better by a mile. Like Philosophically, what I've been exposed to being in blacksmithing has changed my life for the better. I'm a better person because of the max. It's just different. What they did was different.
1: Right. Well, I think like, I don't want to like speak for Pat or, or for the max, but if I were to say that the big difference between those two um, companies, even though it's the same name um, is the Macs were a business and that's like a nonprofit school. It was, but, you know,
0: exactly. Well, that's one thing. It, the interesting thing was when we were at there, we never called it. We never said we worked at the Center for Metal Arts. We worked at Fine Architectural Smiths, and Center for Metal Arts was, they had classes every so often. And I, and I think to the point where it might've been a burden, I mean, classes might've been a burden to the business. Right. And that's usually what happens with a lot of businesses that want to have classes anyway that you're doing it on weekends and it's all of a sudden it's a ton of work and how you get the students to come in and it, the setup and the, it's, it's teaching classes is a pain in the ass. When Pat went in there, it was less fine architectural metal smiths and all center for mental arts. So what was amazing was you're seeing this collaborative thing. And now all of a sudden he's bringing people in people that you know, all of a sudden he's not dudes with beards. It's not dudes with old beards who are, <laughs> you know, who are neighbors you know, or like, yeah. you know, was not this, sa- I wasn't seeing the same people. But it was this concept of this collaboration, which was a different approach than I had been exposed to. I remember when we went down to when I went down with you guys, I think it was the first time I went to my first time I went down to John Ariani's place. I would never seen all these ha- yeah, what, all these different yeah. hammers. I always thought all blacksmith hammers were either a Hoffie hammer or right. or a, a Petting House hammer. I, I had no idea that there were, what a rounding hammer. So funny.
1: The I'd best n- part about John's shop is, is uh hammer cemetery where it's yeah. all the ones that did make it. I raid like, that. I, I'm in I there. The
0: it. first place I go is the cemetery. <laughs> I love those oddballs, but yeah. I'd never seen different variations. Like I hadn't been exposed to it. And like I said, it was before Facebook and Instagram. And it was like, there was, I thought that it was it, you know? Yeah. And it was based on the exposure. So. You know, seeing what Pat was doing in this a completely different approach, it's compl- So when I recently, when I went down the Center for Mental Arts down in Johnstown, it was an, it was a mind explosion because you know, like listen, his ex- if you have a totally two different approaches, what's the point of carrying the approach of the old place onto the new place? He had a vision, and he made mm-hmm. a nonprofit, and he what's fascinating is, is I believe that Pat Quinn represents the concept of what the modern day blacksmith is.
1: Yeah. I mean, not only that, but that, that school, you know, the facility that he was able to get and where it is, is, um, it's gotta be the biggest blacksmithing school in North America, if not the world i mean the only other place i can think that would be comparable would be that locomotive shop in um australia i can't think of the name of it
0: no idea um,
1: yeah no there's idea. um there's a huge industrial shop in um australia i'll send it to you online when i look it up then you can put it in the show notes but they it's it was like it was a huge forge big hammers and stuff but they haven't resurrected i don't believe i don't i haven't really followed them that closely but i i think Pat's um resurrected more stuff, but I could be
0: wrong with that what's in, what's what's the most impressive is when you go down to johnstown i mean I always feel like it was meant to be for Pat because hmm. his approach was already set. he had this idea of the community, he had this idea of the way he how his approach in terms of blacksmithing, which is a disciplined performative action. Blacksmithing is not. Uh, there's, there's the type of finesse and there's the type of thought and there's a type of discipline that isn't something that you can see or read about and know. Like there Mm -hmm. is like there, it's very physical, performative. I'm starting to think it's much more collaborative and performative than it ever was. What he did was, was going down to Johnstown and finding this incredible space, but not the idea is, is okay, you've got a great space. Like you could get a warehouse and make a shop out of it. But right. he it was it was this industrial space that he was able to reconstitute, but not just strip it clean. He he activated what the, 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 the information and the approach that he already had, and he's just like incorporating it into what was existing in Johnstown at the Cambria Iron. Company, and it's very like. I mean, it's not luck. It's not a coincidence. It's. I'm sure that there was a lot of those forces behind it. But it just. I've never felt more something being more appropriate.
1: Yeah, I think it, um the sense of the community there too. I think it's important for those families and stuff that had their families work. You know, in that in that forge and that steel mill. Um, I think it's. I think it's important for them um that that place exists i mean i know it is because a lot of those local people have taken like the classes like Carrie and i have taught there yeah um and told us how much it means that you know to build a forge in like a place where their grandfather worked or their great grandfather worked and
0: what was that um, line? what do you think what was that like when you were talking to the students and by the way once in a while your 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 mic is hitting your zipper on your is speaker. it okay yeah, i trying right. to keep it up it's all right um Um, what was that like talking to those students what what are those when the students came from johnstown right so if you if you 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 don't want that we're talking about go listen to the pat quinn episode i think it was two ago and then you get the idea of what johnstown was and and what the center for middle arts is now so you have these students come into the class and what was their what tell me what they felt what they were telling you when they when they came i think it was just
1: really moving i think it was like none of them had forged per se, you know, there's, there's some that had like some experience, but it wasn't about, it was about connecting with their past and about, um, you know, their family being there. And, um, if like you like toured the, um, you know, the school is in like a different building, um, the teaching facility, but right across from that is the old Smith shop with the industrial machinery. And, um, that shop on the big chambersburg the 3000 pound chambersburg is really interesting cuz you can see like a lot of the guys names um are chiseled in that yeah. hammer the guys that work there like you know yeah it, it, i don't know It just it, that whole that whole place is really inspiring every time i go there
0: i would think that i mean that the interesting thing is is you know we talk about you know industry and how blacksmithing has changed over the centuries over centuries mhm and you think about the industrialization of it, and how, you know, I th- I believe that humanity is humanity has evolved not physically, but and not even mentally, but like communally, we've we've changed the way we perceive things as as a collective, you know, our the way we uh, change as. As civilization, as society, is 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 the evolution is always in terms of like what we agree to in regards to what's important and what's not important. Right. So, you know, the blacksmiths figured out how to, you know, create steel and then how to maximize the steel and you know implement it into the things that you need for life. But then, as the industrial revolution, and someone said, "All right, well, if we had more blacksmiths, maybe we could." make a little bit more money, and then all of a sudden it's just like, now oh, if we could figure out ways in which to, you know, simplify these processes, maybe we could make more money, and then all of a sudden you create, you know, the industrialization. And I just, I'm fascinated in terms of what you think in regards to that, these changes that happened in terms of how we've viewed blacksmithing back in the day. And I don't know when back in the day is, because, I mean, you talk about like, you know, you see, like you know, those all these pictures of these old dudes just wearing a you know. An apron. I
1: know the, the other thing that's confusing is most people think of blacksmiths as like farriers, right? Um, you know, and that that's very different. I mean, most of the old anvils are farrier anvils you find like around here. Um, some you know old English stuff, but um, I don't know. I think like the sense of I feel like there's a new energy in this. This group of people now that are getting into blacksmithing you know it's um I, I don't know it's hard to explain like all, all I can say is I've met people that have I don't like been in business with it their whole life or it's it's just a it's just a job so to speak and then I've met people that have like kind of found it later and it seems like the people have kind that kind of found it later it's been somewhat like a second coming of christ it's like this you're really um you're really just driven by it you know it was for me when i first got into it it just it changed my life
0: i i appreciate the fact that you said that because i see it to me as a as a personal philosophy that i've used now and it is i've said it not on you know podcasts but it is closer to being my religion than anything else like mm-hmm. it's a spirit, it's a, it's a mindset. It's a mindset that once you kind of click into it, it isn't just about posing with a fucking hammer in your hand and swinging and pretending because the camera sees you. It's like having this deep connection with not only your past, but you yourself. It's a, it's a, it's a physical manifestation of who you are and what you're doing and who you know, what you know at that moment. And what's interesting is is thinking about what you just said in terms of like this new coming, this new that people used to do it as a job. I don't believe back in the day, and I suppose you could listen, you could talk to Alex Pohl. Alex Pohl did a great book called Blacksmith, and it has a lot of information in regards to journeyman smiths and how they kind of went back and forth and how they became blacksmiths. I mean, there weren't, back in the day, there were no like recreational blacksmithing classes. People, it was a profession. Yeah, it was a profession. Most likely, but... most people wanted nothing to do with, right? And then you know it was hard, and it was hard to get into the guilds. Or it was hard to get into these. You know, it was you couldn't. Well, it was like... family.
1: Family dominated. You know, I mean, um, especially like in my um, my mom's side of the family, like the Smiths from Scotland were all blacksmiths, and they, um, you know, there's a whole tradition there of of that ironwork. You know, and it's still there today. So
0: everybody named Smith yeah, came a, from the concept Smithing. of a blacksmith. Yeah,
1: came from the blacksmith, a metal worker of some sort, whether it's a tinsmith or a a bladesmith. I mean, I don't know how many bladesmiths they needed on the Outer Islands in Scotland, maybe. But um
0: So were they was, named, their last names Well, were based on be, what they like, did?
1: the history of names and stuff like you were in, you, at least in the um, English realm, like if you were, you had a name, it was usually because you were from an area, you know, you might be like so-and-so of like whatever, you know, Hill. So that's your last name is Hill. Cause you're from that right. area um, or Smithy or Potter or um, you could think of all the different, um, you know, trade names that, you know, we know now. Um, and that's how that stuff carried on. But it wasn't necessarily because like they had names per se like that. In yeah. our in our sense.
0: I mean, if you think about the name Smith, it's synonymous people make jokes about the fact that it's the most synonymous name with like almost anonymity. You sure. know. You know, you, you you know, you have this John Smith is this the most anonymous name of all time because the name Smith is such a you know synonymous name with millions and millions billions and billions of Smiths out there and came from clearly came from kind of that concept of Smithing. But I mean go ahead.
1: No I was going to say in like my family that like the Smiths have um uh I have like all the Gaelic names so they you know they you know as the Brits came in and kicked like my family out over to uh, Canada and then down on that side um they changed from like only speaking Gaelic to French, French first, then English. But they, you know, obviously um, they had to pick English names, so to speak. So the translation of like the Smith name to the Gaelic, I can't think of it off the top of my head. Um, but you know, their names were a lot longer too, because they would carry the different generations down through. So you might have like five different names, huh. you know?
0: And and you know, being a being a the, having the in the business in your family, you're not bringing. You know, you, basically the idea was is like we've changed. Our minds have changed in terms of, you know, there were no classes, right? You couldn't just like say, hey, listen, you know, I'm going to go for the weekend. I'm going to learn how to forge a, whatever. No. So,
1: I think the coolest thing was yesterday. I went down and saw um, Kevin Maholan in like the shop where I started out at Vermont Forgings. Um, And I hadn't been down for a while; it was overdue. Um, I used to spend quite a bit of time there, but I went down yesterday. And his um, his grandson, who's now ten, I remember when he was born. um, Kevin goes, "You got to see the table my grandson made." I was like, "A table? Like how old is he?" He's like, "He's ten now," and I'm like, "Okay." So we went out and looked at this, and he his son had like fabricated and made this entirely steel table like beautiful welds and everything. And I was like, that's at 10. Amazing. So family tradition, that's like his son, um, has gone on to be like a a huge welder. Um, I don't even know if he welds anymore. He has like a bunch of people that work for him, huge company building, like big steel buildings and stuff like that. But, um, and his daughter is a full-time blacksmith Molly. Um, so yeah, it's cool with the family tradition stuff. It's easy to see, like, and understand it maybe looking at families like that where it's like, I kept looking at that table yesterday and thinking, how cool is that? It's like at ten years old, that kid's gonna be able to basically provide for himself for life in theory, yeah. if he wants to. Keep going. You know, if he wants to stick things together with metal, you know, it's.
0: But there's like, there's there's I mean I think present day. Mm -hmm. There's more satisfaction with people who go out to learn forging and metalworking as a hobby. Yeah. That's how you kind of create that spiritual awakening, you know?
1: Yeah. I think it's important too. It's like, um, a good example is like Lee Morell, um, who's the president of, uh, Um, his son, Justin, great guy. And, uh, Justin grew up like foraging with him from when he was really young, and then Lee sent him to work with other blacksmiths once he turned, I think, eighteen or something. He spent like, you know, I don't, I don't know how long, probably a few months, you know, jumping around to different smiths and seeing how different people did stuff.
0: I actually so, have that interview. If you oh, go, you
1: do? Oh, that's right, because you did interview. him. I interviewed Justin, yep.
0: and if you want to listen to the Justin Morell interview, Justin is also the president of the Neb. He's so. The Morel yep. family. It is. It's very rare that you would have this modern day family who's has a history. I know that Lee had started in, and then his son. He has two sons who work for him, and or no, not, I think they took it over. I don't think Lee is. Yeah, no,
1: no Justin they bought and his it. brother, yeah. who
0: yeah. Morel metalsmiths, so are fantastic, and definitely go listen to the interview with Justin because yeah, he, his dad sent him away because he just wanted him to get a bit different perspective. Right. Which was a tr- more of a traditional idea of how you that did is,
1: it. It's like the journeyman yeah. ship that like Alex uh, Pohl was talking about.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. it is few and far between. I mean, it, you know, I, I brought my kid in a couple. There's, a, I have a couple pictures of when uh, John Ledford and I had that little shot, uh, that little school Hudson Hudson River Ironworks for like less than a year. And I brought my kid in for the day, and she 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 struck for me. She hit the rivets. I made her – we made a mustache. We made a mustache that I ended up sending to my friend John um, Jonathan Porter. So Jonathan Porter oh, gave nice. it to his kids because his kids yeah, wanted cool. a mustache, so we sent it to him. <laughs> so but, um, you know, that is something that, like, I have never – you know, my kid, I wanted her to be on her own. I wanted her to – make her own decisions i wasn't about to like if she would be shown interest i would have fostered that interest in her being in metal work but she does not need that interest It's not for her. yeah you
1: know my daughter um who's 18 now is going through the structural welding um certification at the wow. tech center here um she just got osha certified um but she's i you know I, she did come to the shop quite a bit when she was younger if she's is
0: that what she wants to do
1: I don't know. I think she just, she was good at welding. Like she used to come out to the shop more when she was younger and, and full around. And, um you know, I thought, I felt like she was better than I was at it. I've never been a, the greatest welder. I've been, you know, you got to have a really steady hand. And uh she, yeah, I thought she was, she was really good.
0: Wow. That, yeah. It, it is interesting how we see people and how we find our interests and stuff like that. I think, I think nowadays, and it, it was interesting in terms of teaching is finding, you know, finding t- in, t- in terms of blacksmithing in general, bladesmithing, and blacksmithing is nowadays because there isn't this, you know, there was this huge gap. There was this huge gap in information and it wasn't something that you could really, I mean, you know, I I was trying to think this morning when I was walking the dogs, the last kind of big, well-known uh, I'm trying to use the right terminology I'm sure I'm not coming up with like black American blacksmith not necessarily American blacksmith but like somebody who made a name for themselves in terms of
1: well I think like the person that changed it like modernized it in the sense that we know it and took it away from I mean you could, you could say Yellen but I think the modern day person might look at more like Francis Whitaker um, and kind of what he did and um, like the early days of Abana and
0: um, Yellen was the name I was going with.
1: Yeah, I was Yellen, gonna come up with Yellen. Yellen. For me, is like is, he's somewhat a spiritual saint. Like that's that's the work I really like. That's the work I want to strive for. Um, yeah, he was. He's really amazing.
0: In um, your mind, what do you think Samuel Yellen did for the modern day blacksmith?
1: So if you' don't, um, just well, he you- brought over from poland you know his his skill level from from europe and um even though he went to school where I actually have some yellow and stuff in front of me um he's what he attended uh arts and craft school where he studied drawing crafts and became interested in blacksmithing that's eighteen ninety two um but anyways, he he had studied with somebody over there and then came to the United States into uh, Philadelphia. Um, yeah, he was a he was amazing. I mean, he did stuff for like uh, the National Cathedral. Um, he did a, a bunch of stuff in Washington.
0: Tons of in Princeton University. If you go to Princeton University, there's tons of his stuff there. If you go down yeah. to Wall Street. He's done a ton of stuff down at Wall Street.
1: Yeah, there's um in Philadelphia actually if you buy his uh his biography there's a list of all his job sites. So, I know um when my dad lived in Philadelphia, I ran around the city with the with the book trying to hunt hunt out his old ironwork, which was really cool. It was really sad to see um a lot of people had like painted over it over the years, right. you know, and he used to send his crew around and they would just linseed
0: oil everything once a year. Really? Yeah. Pretty crazy. Fred Christ ended up running the shop. Fred yeah, Christ. I know. We had him on the podcast. I we know. tried to
1: get him on for like we had him on part one, but it was like it was tough to cover everything that guy did in an hour.
0: Fred Fred um, Christ is I I tell you what, I said this a million times. Fred Christ is my mo, my modern-day Fred Chris is John Ariani. John Ariani yeah. is when I look at I love Fred Chris because Fred Christ made the decision to be a modern day sculptor, but with classical. Forging, like he does the classical Samuel Yellen style. We're going to talk about he that does, in a second. Yeah. And he's able to kind of like make that connection between being a modern artist and the love for the traditional stuff. Yeah. And, and John Ariani has always been my modern day Red Chris. no oh, he's a. Uh, There's a connection there.
1: He's a master of fine arts.
0: He's a master of fine arts, and he knows how to do the traditional shit too. So, to me, I was thinking about Samuel Yellen. I'm glad you said it because it made me feel like I'm not an idiot. And we could talk about, you know, uh, uh, Francis Whitaker too, but Samuel Yellen to me, what he did for blacksmithing was he brought in, I've been talking a lot about lately about the humanity. And what Samuel Yellen did is if you look at his work and his work is super duper at the time, the art deco style, art nouveau style, which was lines, but also like biological things and having this contrast between shapes And you know sharp lines, and then you know like the the biological world. Fred Chris, I mean not Fred Chris. Samuel Yellen was able to create these contrasts between faces and 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 flowers, but these repeating patterns, and he kind of like was able to create something that you couldn't do with lathes and machining. Mm -hmm. He created something that was very applicable. To the modern day design, at the time, and he beca- he brought that. He made blacksmithing intrinsically important to the design of modern day America at that time. And I,
1: th- yeah, I think like his the big thing I always liked that he said was um, the best place he has to sketch his ideas. Um, this isn't word for word. Was um, with the hammer and the anvil.
0: However, yeah. but at the same time, if you look at imagery of his work. You see the dead the, the details. But you, you also do. see the humanity.
1: You see the imperfections.
0: You see the imperfections. You see the humanity of yeah. this was not made on a lathe.
1: No, and he left it there for a reason. Yeah. I mean he can make perfect scrolls. Why are they why are they all different on this one thing, but they match up enough where you look at the whole piece and you don't see it. And then all of a sudden you walk you walk close and you're like, oh there it's everything is like really unique on you
0: know, to me, this is the this importance. And actually, when I was when I had Lynn Ray on, he was talking about when he worked with uh, Peter Ross. Right. He said that he learned they learned how to move holes when they made you know the holes didn't line up. He learned how to move holes. Right. And the blacksmithing in and of itself isn't about this perfection. It's about the problem solving. It's about showing the fact that they're you know does it have to be done exact, exact, exact. You pull out your calipers every fucking minute. No. There is this humanity to it. And and at the time, the design work of the time kind of confluenced with what Samuel Yellen was doing. And it just like, it was almost like a blip on the radar in terms of the modern day blacksmith.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you look at his book and like the, you know, the designers and the white coats and the layout tables, the architects, and then you look at you know, the blacksmith shop, which I think he only had one little giant power hammer that he hardly used. And, you know, he had coal fires and an anvil, and then he had like your, your blacksmith and a striker. Um, I think he had 250 people at the height of his uh, business, but he it's hard to believe that you can take blacksmithing to that level um, in that architectural sense.
0: In such a, in such a creative and individual way. Right. Exactly. Without you know, just like
1: straight lines. And because there's a flavor, like there's mm-hmm. a
0: flavor that Samuel Yellen had that, you know, you could go to a fabrication shop and let's make a railing. And then I want the spacing to be this. and I want you to use five eighths round bar and right. use a cap rail and you use this and that and the other thing. And then you don't have a flavor. We used to call those spaghetti railings because you just kind of churn them out. But with Yellen, he created a style that was synonymous with what he was doing, and he used the techniques of blacksmithing, but he was able to create the flavor to when you see it, you know it in blacksmithing. You know, you can mm-hmm. you can you can, if you see if you see um, something that Samuel Yellen did, you don't have to see his name on it, you know that he did it. He created right. a flavor. yeah. And to me, that is like the most, one of the most important parts about blacksmithing is just like, how do you create a flavor, your flavor, something that you did on your own? And nowadays, and it, it brings me, I mean, I've just been having such like, you know, not existential crises, but like existential thoughts in terms of like my my role in, in blacksmithing, not that it matters, or, you know, or the role of fader knives and stuff like this. And I think about the future. I think about now Nowadays, with social media, you get to see more blacksmiths, which is great.
1: You do, yeah.
0: You also have the opportunity. Machinery is changing now, and it's almost like a second industrial revolution, where you can get plasma cutters at home. You know, you used to not be able to have plasma cutters at home. Now you can get CNC plasma cutters. I was just at uh, Bantam Tools. My friend Bree Pettis has a company where he makes tabletop CNC machines. And we were talking about that, yeah, and I had him in the shop to forge. I wanted to, I had to have him in the shop to forge. Like he is, this is a guy who knows thousands, and he everything is computer oriented, and he's got soft hands, and everything is right. done by the computer. I wanted him in the shop to forge. I wanted him to say, "I said we're not using calculators, we're not using computers, we're not even gonna use a tape measure, we're not even going to use like calipers. I want you to feel the difference between this. This is not. Right. This is like." Performative. And yeah. the cool thing was is he had never forged before, never even picked up a hammer. And when he was striking, he was striking with his knees. He was like bouncing up and down because he just didn't understand. Like, you know, there was like this bouncing. This, the striking was I mean it was hilarious because he was like he was he was like striking with his knees. You mm-hmm. know, like and we weren't doing anything big. And he said to me after we forged for about an hour and a half, hour and a half of forging, he said, I had three hits where I understood what you are talking about. Three hits where he was holding the piece of steel on the anvil. There was no gap in the, there was, he was he was holding it flat. He hit it. He's like a three hits in it all. I understood. Like I, yeah. he's like of the whole hour and a half, there was this seven second moment where I got it.
1: I yeah. Got it. I mean, it's amazing to have to teach people and have them connect with metal like that for the first time on the anvil. Um, that's one of the reasons I like teaching, um, is just that, that sharing that experience. Like, and it, I was so excited about it the first time I did it. And I went, went into Vermont Forging's and he, you know, it wasn't on an anvil, it was on a power hammer, but he de- heated up some three eights and just, you know, drew out like a little leaf and a little stem and bent it around his little bending jig. And, um, I must've made 20 of them that day and it. I was just, I was amazed by it. So I don't like to see people go through and kind of experiment. Um, You know, especially in our classes, it's like super fun. We've actually, I've taught a few here this year um, in my own shop, which has been nice, Um, especially one-on-one is cool. Yeah. Um, It helps the CMA because it's like, if usually you have an intern and then it's Carrie and I. So if I have eight students, then it's like, if I have three people like watching over and helping people like kind of like i I don't have like my classes like not to talk about my class yeah we're gonna talk Um, about your class
0: so we we gotta we're pushing cma you and i we're 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 now we're we're fat we're faculty you and i are faculty
1: (laughs) faculty we're faculty we gotta push this shit (laughs) the back page that's right we got to have a
0: faculty lounge we're gonna sit around (laughs) come on man we're faculty now
1: um no but the cool thing is is uh I don't, I try not to run a structured class because I'm not very structured myself. Um, And I like to, I think just experimenting is where you get those ideas that come from. Um, So it's cool to watch people. I try to give them like sample ideas, like you can do this too. And then somebody always pushes it. You know what I mean? It's like you could taper this. And then, can you twist the taper? I'm like, you can, but your rated twist is going to change a lot. So it's, um, you know, how do you control that that rated twist? You know, just in beginners and stuff, it's really cool to watch people experiment and um, and learn from it. I, I mean, you got it's the only way to learn how to forge iron is to push it around and see what happens.
0: Tell me, bring me back to that day you were in Vermont Forgings and you did those ten leaves. What yeah, it, do you think the feeling was? What was the feeling? You were just like, I need to keep doing this.
1: I was just like, this is like, it changed my life. You know, I don't, I, I say that and I don't know if it would have hit me so hard coming out of a gas forge, but coming out of like a, a coal forge with like a live fire that you were also like controlling and tending. Um, it was just a magic that I could never explain, you know, other than, you know what I'm talking about, yeah. forging. You I, know, I
0: think about that all the time because it is something that's like it's when you get it. I'm, I'm I start to think about it more and more and more and meet people's motivations and people's approaches, and I'm starting to think that the psychological it's a cycle. It's more of a psychological endorphin. It's like an endorphin that you get.
1: It is, yeah
0: but the endorphin doesn't come from the physicality. I think that the endorphin comes from, like when Bree Pettis hit that, that seven seconds, and he, mm-hmm. that seven seconds, those three hits where everything moved and it didn't rattle around, and he felt comfortable with the material in his hands, and he had this degree of discipline that he was forcing upon that steel, because he was holding at that moment, he was holding it right. And that moment he was using the technique that I asked him to to do. That moment he was on the right part of the anvil. And that moment, and I I think that I truly believe that the endorphin comes from the psychological uh, feeling that you're doing something correctly and and you see the physical manifestation of your performative act. Sure. And it gives you a degree of satisfaction because you're not uncontrolled id. You're not. You know, you're not, you know, just, you know, o- you know, ADD. You're not just someone who makes excuses for themselves. You have this very, very spontaneous but, you know, controlled act that you see the, the remnants of your humanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I absolutely. think that that's very, I think it's probably one of the most important things as a human being you can do is to see the fact that you what you've done matters.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one for everybody to to struggle with. It's like how much like I I said said before to you that, you know, in the beginning I wouldn't stamp my name on anything cuz it was like what is it, what do I matter, you know? Um but you know, my father actually wound up getting me my first um like name stamp, touch mark or whatever.
0: Here's um, here's what I wonder in regards to your those 10 leaves you did. Part of me thinks it's because you could do it repetitively and it wasn't a mistake.
1: Yeah, maybe um there was just something like uh just really inspiring for one about him. Um Kevin's like a super inspiring guy and I don't if he had been a blacksmith I feel like he would have been like a toy maker or like something like really fun. Um he's a very like youthful spirit. So it's um even when I went to see him yesterday he was like jumping up and down over stuff I brought him and um just still so excited about you know blacksmithing and art and painting and music and like just um really passionate guys so to to learn and have my first experiences in that shop was uh was really special i mean i i remember like him drawing a taper out for like a railing or a scroll or something i don't remember what it was for and uh him like drawing a line on the table. Speaking of not using a tape measure and being like, "Here's all the bars. Draw everything to the, to that mark." You know. Yeah. Um, which sounds like easy. Oh yeah, I can do that. But it's like if you pull too much metal, if you don't use enough, and you got to be consistent. Everything's got to kind of match. And um, learning to think that way instead of like uh, you know, making things out of like wood. Um was my only uh, comparison. It was so different. And uh, metal is so much more forgiving
0: in a lot of ways. I remember that reminds me of, I remember we were doing some pickets back in the day and John Ledford told me to draw out some long tapers. Mm-hmm. And he showed me an example of what he wanted. And then I did a couple. And then I said, here you go. And he goes, these are not right. And I said, what do you mean? They're long tapers. He's like, yeah, but you made a point. You made a long point. You didn't make a long taper. So the t- your your point is only the first three inches of the bar. I want the taper right. to be seven inches long. I want you to start this taper back here. Don't make a point and just like, you know, that's right. not the same thing. There's There are these like these moments of just like understanding of, of where things are and how you get there. But I remember being like, dude, this is a fucking taper. And he's like, no, that's a three-inch point. I need a seven-inch taper. That's different, completely different. I want your, I want your cross section to be tapered the whole seven inches, not the first, the last three inches.
1: Right. I think that even like you could even go and say on top of like that, learning how to forge those ways that, that we did. Um, I feel like kids, you know, I get kids that come in and take like a class in the shop, like, you know, a back in my shop and they, um you know they've been watching the tv shows and they want to go from never hitting anything on an anvil to like making like a damascus axe you know and you're like there's like i have like years in between those two things it's that's i think like people want to jump in and like make the the thing that they were inspired because they saw it on tv um and it, it there's like with the blacksmithing, it takes years and years and years to become proficient and, um, you know, confident and, and good at it, I guess.
0: It's a it's very I am very conflicted on it all because, you know, for all these years, I've been thinking, what's the role of the modern day blacksmith? And we we will never get blacksmithing back to the way it used to be where how dependent society was on it. How do we get people through the door? Well, Instagram is really great because Instagram lets you see other people, and you can be inspired by other people. You can be inspired by what Pat's doing. You can be inspired what Cliff and John are doing. You can right. try to you can try to see. I know that um, Ben Snure saw the dividers that. Uh, Peter Ross oh, made right. yeah, and was, he was, was inspired crazy. to try to make them himself. And I tell you yeah. what, I had a lo- nice long conversation with Ben and Ben was just like, I reached out to Peter Ross and I asked him if he, how he felt about me posting the, the, the progression board I made. And Peter Ross wrote back and he says, I have, go ahead. Cause the way you do, it's not the way I do it. <laughs> so it was right. very much along the lines of but it was this real, it's this great moment of seeing the, the, being inspired to be better. Yeah. The, I wonder, and and ultimately it's all good. But what I wonder is, is there's, there's also so much cart before the horse. Like mm-hmm. I remember when I, I was at this, I was at the fine architecture, Model Smith the at CNMA for a long time, we'd never even thought about doing Damascus. The first time I ever did any Damascus was at that Aaron Wilburn class I met. You oh, know? right. Yeah. We never know it. We didn't care. We didn't care about what it looked like when you take away the mill scale. Didn't even interest us at all. We had no right. idea. There was no forge. We didn't do any forge welding. I think we did forge welding once with Peter Hapney, and it wasn't working because the, their gas forges were not getting it hot enough. I made, mm-hmm. a, I made a fireplace poker with Peter Hapney. Spark and bark. Did you
1: really? I, that's where I bought my little giant from, was from him.
0: Spe- you remember, do you remember when they were spark and bark? No it was two it was Peter Hat, me and another guy, and they called themselves Spark and Bark, and they were just doing like you know these forging classes and i I remember seeing like forge welding, what do you need to do that? We have a mig welder what do we need to do yeah. any forge welding and I definitely felt the need of like not having the need to do forge welding i had no interest in doing the the damascus it didn't really interest me at all. And I feel as though I i am conflicted in terms, and like to the point where I don't make my own Damascus. Because I mean, I have a few bars that I tried. i have just not really. It's just for me. I feel like I want to be a better blacksmith. Like right. that's what yeah. what gets me through the night. It's and the fact is that it's also. And I think I mean, you I don't. I'm not speaking for you, but to me, it's not the destination, but it's the journey. Like absolutely. And I think that that's one of the things that is so inspiring about Pat. Is that like, I can tell the way he's, you know, making sure that the space, you know, understanding the historical importance of CMA and Johnstown and understanding the importance, but it's this perform and that's part of being a blacksmith. It's always the journey. It's not the destination. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how much I learned from Pat. Just, just observing him and going down there and hanging out and, you know, being lucky enough to be able to forge uh, one-on-one with him you know, quite a bit over the years. Um, and he, and having him come up here to my shop and just pointing out things to me that I could improve um, his you know, his attention to detail um, is, uh, was a, was a huge learning thing for me to, to really like focus and um, to really have a, like a critical eye on, on my own work.
0: I appreciate his approach. Because his approach to teaching is very very I f- it's very, very important and controlled, and I do believe that his philosophy in terms of how we teach and how we get get how we're going to keep going, I mm-hmm. think is crucial to the furtherment of blacksmithing in this, in, in this society, in society civilization. And I think that the hardest part is is because there was this lack of teachers. You know, like you could I was talking to my kid and I was just like, you know, how many, you know, high school history teachers, there's generations upon generations upon generations of high school history teachers and they teach the class and they, you get, right. some teachers are good, some teams are, teachers are bad, they do a lecture, you listen or you don't listen and it's not the end of the world. But with a blacksmithing teacher, you have to be able to explain what's going on you have to be able to handle different, you know, levels of information from your students or different levels of their their own particular levels. And mm-hmm. you got to get everybody over the finish line. That's yeah, the-, the most important thing. You you have to take every single one of them and they, a good teacher will bring them over the finish line.
1: Yeah, I think like learning to teach was a whole I mean, you can learn like I knew how to make a bottle opener um, or a fire poker, but learning how to teach that stuff um it's you're you're taking like this you know uh progression of processes like in applying words to it which you it's so you really have to think it out um and it, it took me a long time before i really had a good grasp of um how to do that um it helps that my wife was a teacher for a while um and she was able to help, you know, point stuff out to me. But uh, yeah, I think that's the that's the fun part about um Center for Metal Arts is uh you know, for me is like I love going and teaching.
0: Has teaching uh, made you a better blacksmith? It definitely
1: has. Yeah, 100%. How would you
0: th- how would you say that is?
1: Uh it's like attention to detail again. Um you know, really focusing on um consistency of Uh, you know, my work and what I'm doing and how to explain it. And, um, um, you know, and then just the experimenting and somebody saying, can I do this? And I'm like, yeah, let me think about how to do it here, you know, Um, and figuring out stuff. And um, yeah, for sure. It's definitely made me a better blacksmith.
0: It's the connecting.
1: It's connecting,
0: yeah. I, I'm convinced that the the role of the modern day blacksmith is the preservation of the humanity in the work in and of itself. It's not laser cut. It's not you know C and would out by a computer, right? It's, it's the passion of the work. It's but it's a collaborative. I think that it's far more. You know, and I almost feel like I've because of my experience with you know the Center for Metal Arts, where the classes were very solitary. You taught, and I, the classes that I teach. I focus on inner, you know, beginner stuff that you can do at home by yourself. Right. But yeah, how
1: did, how did your class go there?
0: Great. I mean, I was like, I'll tell you what, I was scared shitless for the year. I'll tell you the history. The history was, (laughs) was when uh, Pat and uh, I know Pat, I've known Pat and uh, when they did a call to action for classes in my mind, I thought, well, what would I do? And then I thought I thought about what I would do, and then I thought, well, you're going to kick yourself because it's going to be another year. You're going to kick yourself if you don't apply. So when I applied, I immediately and I thought, you know, I don't think Pat's going to take this class. I mean, I, you know, maybe he doesn't want anything to do with me because of my history with the old Center for Mental Arts. You know. And we talked for a long time. He interviewed me. I mean, I'm like, I'm like, holy shit, I'm getting interviewed. I'm a known pat Pat knows me. He interviewed me, he took it very seriously, and then he 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 we figured out this great class friction folder class mm-hmm. and then he we found this connection with that we use the 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 the, the incline plane tokens from Johnstown as the washers, which is they look so great. yeah, that's awesome and I was scared shitless up until I arrived and I want I felt an importance to I felt an importance to what I was going to be doing. I felt a real pressure because I wanted Pat to be happy with the job I did. I was really really concerned with as always the role of the modern day blacksmith. I'm really really concerned with how people are being not very thoughtful in terms of how they're forging. And a lot of people just, they stand in front of an Yeah, vehicle. it's. T- I
1: mean, you see a lot of bad stuff online Dude, and, and it's,
0: you know, it's,
1: it's not just that like the techniques are wrong, but it's like the, like it's, you want to exercise safety first. I mean, I've seen people get hurt really bad in blacksmithing and, um, you know, it's the way it's taught has to be done in a safe way. That's, and,
0: I talked to Pat about that. I talked to you. You and I talk about this offline, and we're not going to be just dis- obviously. We're- this is not the disparaging podcast, but you know, right. we see some bullshit. And and <clears throat> the problem is, is like I want, I appreciate, and 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 talk about the spiritual thing of blacksmithing. I carry it at such a high regard <clears throat> that I want to do it justice. I don't want to be a bullshit artist. I don't want to do what my dad used to call people a poser. He used to say people are posers. There's a lot of people out there who are posers. And or he would say poseur. He was such a fucking asshole. <laughs> poseur. He's a guy's a poseur. And I feel very strongly in regards to that. And I really was like, I'm going to overprepare. And I did. And But I was scared shitless up until I was scared shitless up until the middle of this first day. I wasn't as scared shitless because I got through because I had to. We also we had to do t- your demo. Yeah. Well, the demo was the demo was was you know I, my eyes were like you know frosted over and I wasn't seeing 100% straight and I was just like and then I started overthinking things and it worked yeah. out great and the the guys yeah. had a great time and I connected with you know guys who had never picked up a hammer to guys who were you know probably better bladesmiths than I am for sure and it was this great connection and I really had a great time with Pat and Pat and I had a lot of really good conversations and he and I've you know he and I have kind of grown as friends and and it, and and I, I went away feeling that this is this is the most important this is the most yeah. important in I feel
1: like history. it's I can't think of in terms of my own blacksmithing I feel like it's the most important thing like I'm personally doing is is just to be part of that place is going to be historic um, down the road. With, you know, the people that, that learn and um, start out at Center for Martial Arts and, and go on and what they do, I think is going to be, uh, uh, I think he's going to change the world in a lot of ways in that
0: respect. I think that he has the ability. I think that the funny thing is, is like, all right, so back to when I was, you know, I was posting pictures on Facebook and then Ori Hoffi says to me, oh, center for mental arts that's the max place is this or they still have my hammers they have my tongs and i really wanted there to be this i wanted to be very diplomatic about the situation right. and when i went to the center for metal arts there's a picture of me there's the ellis saw that i spent years using mm. there's two power hammers that i spent years using they had the the teg welder and the mig welder those are the two in the in the in the classroom. Those were those were my TIG welder and Mig welder at my station. There's really? a few pieces of equipment there that I was like the Ellis that Ellis saw that they have. Yeah. I yeah. spent years cutting material out on that saw.
1: I huh, spent years awesome.
0: with those TIG welders. I spent years and to the point where I was just like i was looking around and I'm looking to see if I remember. I remember the bender. There was a couple of things that I remembered. And I looked at those fucking tools and I thought, it's just you guys and me. And we're the only carryover. And I thought, and I appreciated the fact that Pat uh, was able to accept me. You know, I appreciated that. I took took it as a real honor because like there was no, a lot of carryover. So what I wrote back to Uri was, well, you know, it's different now. They have the name. And I said it in a very, very diplomatic way. What Pat's doing is different. It's just, it's not the same. It's not the same place. You know, if you really kind of look at it in regards to not only the approach, but you look at the tools, it's, they have a couple tools there and the name. And that's it. Because the approach is totally different. The approach, the concept the thoughtfulness, the importance is, it's different. Mm -hmm. And I... I feel this is probably, you know, we're, you and I are both, we're about to turn 49. We're about to turn 49 pretty soon. Yeah, let's not talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, Jesse and I are like a month apart. And we're both like, you know, we're the old guys. <laughs> yeah. It's fine. But yeah. but I, don't, I think at, at this age, I think that being a part of the blacksmithing world still and being a part of what Pat's doing is probably one of the most important, it, besides my business and my family and stuff like that. Yeah,
1: I think sure. it's probably
0: one of the most important things in my life.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm honored. Yeah, I think. Yeah, it it is a huge honor to be part of that place. And um, yeah, it's just it's 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 really, uh, really amazing. And um, if anybody hasn't. Gone. They should. You should definitely try to book a trip. I know they're gonna do. When's their demo? Sef- the
0: September seventeenth is the Cam the Cambria Iron Conference. September seventeenth. Right. And I'm just gonna do. A, I know you got a hard out, so I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm, we're getting. We're gonna wrap this thing up. Okay. So Cambria Iron, they have. If you want to listen to the uh Pat Quinn episode, we can talk about it. But they have this giant three thousand pound utility hammer. One of like five, and this one is the one they've restored. This thing takes five people to work. You have a driver, you have somebody operating the tongs, you have somebody operating the crane, you have the blacksmith. What they're going to do is do a giant all-day sculpture. This is the role of the modern-day blacksmith. The role of the modern-day blacksmith is to make sculpture, kind of, or be collaborative, be collaborative and work as a team. So Pat got a smaller Chambersburg that has the same operations in the research facility. Which is amazing. And they practice the approach. They practice... The building of a sculpture, so this year they have Zach Noble coming in. He's going to design a sculpture. They're going to figure out exact, kind of not exactly, but they're going to figure out the movement. They're going to figure out who's going to drive the machine, who's going to drive mm-hmm. the power hammer, and how are we going to go, and where is the is going to be. And this is not open die forging. This is using different fullering tools and stuff like that. They're going to practice on this smaller maquette on this Chambersburg that's the biggest goddamn thing you've ever seen. But when it's up against the generationally uh, giant, monstrous 3,000-pound utility hammer. It's like, you know.
1: Yeah. I haven't seen it run yet.
0: <laughs> I have not seen it run. No. I have not gotta, seen it run. You
1: got to go for but it. But
0: this, this conference is important because it's about the it's about the potential of bringing these yeah. things back. It's about the history of Johnstown. It's also about the, the future and the history and the future of the communal aspect of mm. what blacksmithing is. And if you, and you don't have a lot of opportunities, I know that there are a lot of places that have these giant utility hammers, but, but they're not really open to the public in terms no, of I mean, I've go.
1: got two down the street in my local town at the GE factory that like I've heard everybody talk about that works there, but I've never seen, I know what the hammers are. They're all the eerie hammers, but yeah, it is incredible that you can get in to see equipment like this because most industrial shops you know wouldn't let anybody in yeah, the general public the,
0: just for the insurance yeah just for the insurance but this right? is going to be great september 17th definitely go definitely follow um the center for metal arts on instagram go check out their classes i, I know i just got the message from courtney that i'm going to be in the tw- i'm i'm back 2023 I they, I I was honored. I'm honored. I got. Have, I have a class in September. There's, there's a couple slots open for the friction folder class. Uh, Jesse's got. Cl- uh, Jesse's going to be teaching at the center for metal arts too. Go check out his bottle opener classes. You're going to do some forged fireplace pokers too. I am. I'm
1: going to do. Uh, we're doing like a like a weekend where it's like I think Saturday's a bottle opener and Sunday's fire poker. That's going to be great. So, which is cool because I haven't really taught the fire poker yet. I've taught like a. Um, like three private classes out back where we've done them. So I've kind of got down a system of like how to teach it. So it's a good one-on-one class or even to take both. If you want to come in for the weekend,
0: I Um, would definitely suggest if you guys are going to get into blacksmithing, don't be a poser. Don't be one of these guys where the hammer is just too big and you're slapping it around because the camera's rolling and you think you're acting like Thor and nobody gives a shit, but all of us blacksmiths see what you're doing. And we think you're being dangerous and you're being a poser. Don't be a poser. Just free yourself up from the ego of your own ego and just learn and enjoy the, the learning aspect of CMA. Not to mention, it is all skill levels invited. Most of these classes... Oh, absolutely, yeah. That's the one yeah. thing is Pat is so... Thoughtful to all of his students, he tells you know. he All of a sudden, there was this quiet moment. And he just started telling jokes. Like it, this is a very, very, very relaxed atmosphere for all comers, all comers, and you get yeah, to, all
1: all ages too. I mean, we've had older people, younger people, men, women, like everybody's invited. It's, it's the it's, most
0: it's, approachable place to go with incredible history and the the past, the future, the present. It's all there. Definitely mm. go to the Center for Metal Arts, 100%. With, with that said, <laughs> there's one last thing I want to bring up. This is an opportunity. I'm going to bring up an opportunity that could change someone's life. This is a very important opportunity that could change someone's life. I got a message from from Knife Talk from one of our listeners, Jesse Lang. And this, this is a message that was approved by Derek Glazer of the New England School of Metalwork. New England School of Metalwork, another amazing school, very important school. It's in Auburn, Maine. They, they are affiliated with the ABS, American Bladesmith Society. And this comes from Derek Glazer himself. So now's your chance. If you got a pen and pencil, here's your chance to write down an email address because this is, could be the opportunity. I want one of my listeners to get this opportunity and to change their life. All right. This is from Derek Glazer. The New England School of Metalwork in Auburn, Maine is looking for someone to join and head up their bladesmithing program. This is a full-time position which comes with full benefits, regular exposure to some of the best instructors in the world, extensive opportunities for training in welding, blacksmithing and bladesmithing, and a competitive salary. Whoever steps into this role will still be able to and encouraged to make and sell their blades outside of their work at the New England School of Metalwork. Suitable candidates will have a minimum of three years of serious bladesmithing experience, which is not a lot. And at least a basic knowledge of general blacksmithing school skills, a good working knowledge of social media and its management, some marketing skills, and the ability and willingness to teach others. If this sounds like you and you want more information, please send your resume and pictures of your work to D Glazer. That's D G L A S E R at New England School of Metal Works dot My Bad. Dglazer, D G L A S E R at New England School of Metalwork dot com. This is a great opportunity. This is a great opportunity for someone to have their life changed? And I, you know, I don't have any affiliation with the New England School of Metalwork except for I appreciate that they are where I feel, I'm appreciative that where they're at. I'm appreciative of they're they're still teaching. I appreciate their importance to the bladesmithing community, the blacksmithing community. You could be the next Nick Rossi, ladies and gentlemen. I'm I want to. F- I've kind of kind of feel like this would be Will Stelter's greatest feat. But you don't have to be Will Stelter to do this. You got to be, you got to be capable. You got to be capable. This is a great opportunity. One of you guys, go over there, send a message to Derek Laser, and say, "I want to, I want, I'm ready. I'm ready to be your fucking guy." So that's something. Public service announcement. I feel very strongly about the blacksmithing community, bladesmithing community. I am a married man with a family and a business. I can't do it, but I, I would consider it if this was. Well, I met my wife 25 years ago. I don't know, if I was 17, I don't think I would have been able to do it. Jesse Savage, is one of my close friends. I love talking with you. I love texting with you. I love getting your, yeah, it was great your feedback you. and I'm looking forward to the future. I'm, I know I'm going to see you at least at maker camp. Yeah,
1: well, I mean, hopefully John will have something soon too. We'll yeah, hopefully down.
0: John's gonna have something. We'll have a modern forge meetup or something like that. But definitely go follow Jesse. Jesse Savage Blacksmith. Um he's uh, just a wealth of information, just a terrific guy. And uh go follow the modern forge guys, you know, John and Cliff and and Carrie. Carrie is such a huge part of Jesse's, you know, the blacksmithing school, uh, the teaching and stuff like that. Go to the follow the Center for Metal Arts. Go send a message to Pat saying I want to be involved. Go send a message to Derek Glazer saying I want to be involved. We need to kind of like get excited again. We need to like figure out where we're, our pecking order in this world is, and it ain't all just C and C's, guys. It's you know, get your hand, <laughs> get your hands all burnt up. Get your get your, you know, get yourself some of that spiritual awakening. You know what I'm saying, Jesse? Thanks again. You're the man. Yeah, thank you, Jeff. All right, guys, we will see you next week. If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network.